Welcome to Composers On Air, a podcast presented by Music Information Center Lithuania. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be hearing conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. very excited to welcome Mindogas Urbaitis, an influencer in the Lithuanian landscape of all things cultural, with lifelong activities in composition, a long-term contributor to the educational field of musicology, not to mention broadcasting. Enjoy this conversation sharing a multitude of topics which have contributed to this generation's creative output. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture of the Republic of Lithuania. So I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers On Air, and I'm really, really happy to finally get a chance to speak to you. You know, you're not only a composer, but you're involved in many, many activities I see you more as an important figure contributing to culture. You're an educator, organizer, writer, and a broadcaster. Modus, I think, is an essential part of the Lithuanian cultural landscape. The most obvious question I have to start is how you manage your time in a way to keep everything moving forward so successfully with such a freshness and innovative excitement. I think that... I've tried to be a freelance composer when I was young, you know, and it was, uh, I think, this decade was that I did a minimum <laughs> in my life. And when I started to just to do more things, and when you are doing more, you are just getting the results. I think it's easier to somehow your time to split during the same time, but mixing different activities, which I like. Maybe it's because that I just, first of all, as I am saying to everyone, I am music listener. I love listening music. And then I am professional musician. In my childhood, I played violin for more than 10 years. Then I started to study composition rather early. I was 14 and then I became composer. And then all other activities started, that, like teaching, like being some, you know, fields like taking care of new established copyright association when we gained our independence. And later came radio, of course, and from time to time writing articles and some participating in discussions about festivals, about new music events. So it became like, you know, every day, yeah, which I am breathing and that's it.
Yeah, it's wonderful to also know that you spend a lot of time listening to music. You know, some composers I speak to say they don't even listen to music at all. And I think it's wonderful to see all this activity, which seems to generate different aspects of your mind to keep everything very, very active. I've never asked a composer about their influences because I really don't like the question. First of all, it really isn't a question for a composer with a lifetime of music behind them. It might be interesting for a composer in their 20s or something. But I've been losing a little bit of sleep over the topic of recomposition and trying to think quite deeply about it. And there's another common idea that everything we've ever heard or listened to contributes to what we create. I was catching this well-known Lithuanian pianist, Patris Ganesis, saying that we carry with us a subliminal library of unconscious material that we find ourselves using. But in your case, it seems that you're very conscious about the choices. And you even choose fragments that seem to be essentially seductive in the minds of listeners, very important moments in music and music history. And when they recognize these musical moments, it seems that you kind of seduce them into maybe a better attention so that they understand what your contribution offers. Uh, how do you see this? I can't say how I managed you know, to come to this idea of recomposition. But I think it was Igor Stravinsky's term. He used one of the first recomposition. And as I started, you know, my love to new music started when I was a young teenager and I've heard for the first time Stravinsky. I've heard for the first time Bella Bartok. Then I've heard Olivier Messiaen. After then, Pierre Boulez. And so... I've entered this new music world, which became very fascinating for me because when I was a violinist, you know, in childhood, I played only classical music works, violin repertoire, traditional for children, these concertos, reading or others, but I never was too much fascinated with classical music, never to say frankly. But later on, of course, classical music came to my mind as some very important part of the musical world that, but I have this, you know, maybe inside me, this Stravinsky's also idea, when he said, I think once something like, when I hear a piece of music that I like, I immediately want to recompose it. And Luciano Berio also said, there is any piece of music could be made into something other piece of music. So I think this attitude is very close to me. And when I started to develop being, I think, 19 years old, I made such a list of titles, which also are ideas, titles of music works that I would like to write maybe one day. And these titles, I've already realized almost the bigger part of this list. I did them and there were a lot of recompositions. I don't know why it came in my mind in year 1969, these ideas of recomposing, say, other composers, but, but it was also ideas of Bach, Ryasonian, ideas of other composers. Some 
of them I will not realize from this list. I keep this list. <laughs> it, it's on paper and in my computer. But not all ideas are now, so to say, have a sense to be realized. You know, just it was some ideas I've sketched being 17 years old. But what I did, I think, it's like living in music world. Some music generates another images, it's, it's, at least in my mind. And I want to fix them. And they are, you know, becoming something different, you know. And music is well known, but you never hear this type of structure and musical flow. It's very different. So maybe this is the idea behind these works that I wrote, recomposing other composers' music.
And when you make this list and you make decisions about these pieces, they must have a more emotional connection to you. What are you feeling when you're connecting like this? I remember even reading literature, I would feel as I'm reading, say, uh, I really like the works of Milan Kundera, and I would read, and I was trying to write at that time, and by connecting to the style of this writing, it would inspire me to find the voice and to connect with that voice on an emotional level. And then, therefore, it would help me give this similar type of language as I'm outputting the idea. Do you find that you're really trying to tap into that emotional connection when you do it? I think when recomposing some other music, I'm not getting so much into emotional world, I think so, of the composer, as much as structure and sound of music itself. So it's, it's more abstract way, more abstract approach, I think. Say Bach structures, I've made from them, say, such tricky things like non-recurrence rhythm, rhythmic structures like in Olivier Messiaen's work. So you can play from beginning or from the end, they sound the same. So, and I'm putting them together in minimal way and that's a lot of bigger part of the first Bach Verizionen written that way. And say, if I have a plans, but I will never do this, but I was thinking about music of Liszt or Scarlatti, because of the particular sound, particular structures that I would like to rework them in a very different way. And say, when I did with Cerrones in my piece Stillness, Ramibe, it's very different approach because Cerrones structures are very romantic, very simple, and I took different things from different works. I think there are a lot of small segments or harmonic sequences or melodic motifs, and just I wrote a piece that is absolutely has nothing to do, I think, in a way with Cherlonis. Cherlonis could not write this type of music and it was impossible for him when he lived, you know, more than 100 years ago. But I had in my mind an idea how Cherlonis sounds for me when I am, say, watching his paintings. It's very different, you know, it's very individual approach and very individual hearing of his music even.
So sometimes you get an indirect connection to the intellectual content that may not be a direct quotation, but you're also using a very clear relationship to the music. So that's very, very interesting. You know, we were talking about listening to music too, which is usually the beginning of getting this inspiration. And then I got to thinking about all the music that you speak about on the radio show. And it occurred to me, I had this question, how did you have access to recordings in Soviet times? I know that it was very difficult to get access to recordings, and I'm just curious, how were you able to do that? Yes, it was very complicated, but, you know, to get some LPs with Bartok or Stravinsky, it was possible. There were some, you know, vinyl recordings then you can buy, say, from Hungary, from Eastern Germany, from Poland, especially from Poland. It was possible to go to Warsaw Autumn Festivals. I was traveling from when I was 17, I was first time in Warsaw. I've met Penderecki, I met Litoslavsky, I've met John Tavener, uh, a lot of them, you know, who were participating. And I went few times more to this festival and you can buy here recordings, you can buy uh, scores. And another way, of course, if we are speaking, say, about rock music, which was very important in my formative years when I was a teenager. So it was a very good connections between the, those who are interested in this music. If everyone was getting record from their relatives or friends from the States or from UK, everyone was coming to his home and making a copy of this recording on the tape and having this music at home. So it was, you know, it was strange that we've got almost everything during these social relationships, you know.
When something's illegal, sometimes it pushes people into a higher motivation of getting it, you know. <laughs> but the rock and roll is interesting, too, because I always think of in classical music circles or contemporary classical music circles that the rock and roll in the heart is like a guilty pleasure. And yet this is how a lot of us built our love for music is through rock music. It just happened that way. It's the same with me. 
I never came to, to this idea of becoming a composer. I just started to write songs, listening to the Beatles, and they thought they never learned music. I finished my, you know, violin. I have one diploma being 13. I, I can write music, but I don't know everything well uh, about harmony, about some other things. So I must learn more. But still, this was the idea pushing me to study composition, that I wanted to write songs. It was the beginning, just nothing else. And later came, you know, composers that I mentioned, and I love this music. And I thought, oh, a lot of good music exists. I want to live in this world. This is for me. Yeah, wonderful. When you were young, I imagine you probably listened to the Beatles a lot. Did you have a gravitation towards the more progressive rock and roll? Like, it seems to be common with the contemporary musicians. They seem to go into, you know, maybe Led Zeppelin or maybe even more progressive and maybe even Zappa. King Crimson, yes. All these prog rock, art rock groups were absolutely important. Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And I think it was, I thought even then, that, oh, it came time when rock music became so complicated, so professional, that we who have already studied music to become professionals, it's also for us, <laughs> it's not only for ordinary listeners, also for professionals, it's interesting, there is something to do with it. So it was a big important thing and it was, you know, a big disappointment when came disco and it went back to MTV and all these things happened and music just returned again to simple songs for dancing and yeah, I remember these groups like Jethro Tull where you would hear these lovely forms of long melodic interludes and rhythmic complexities and then after about 1982 or three things got very simple again and everybody kind of jumped into that so i was a little sad so my favorite period was that 70s you know the 70s yeah. prog rock period was just fantastic yes yes the same for me yeah you know i don't like to hear the word minimalism you know because of the word i think and i know it refers to an American genre that many take credit for starting, you know, like Terry Riley and many others. And I see that it's more about repetition and cycles of structures than anything. And sometimes I think about the history of American music and the obvious connections to this rock music that is sometimes often repetitive. I think of my youth playing in a garage band, getting into what we call jamming, where you find this groove that you feel and you stay in it so that it's experienced more in the body than in the mind. In much of your music, I hear sometimes a departure from a formalistic material that often transitions into repetitive patterns, which I think get identified as minimalism. But I think there's an underlying intention behind those decisions, and I'm very interested what you think this is. You know, when I've heard these early pieces of Steve Reich and Philip Glass, I remember the first, my impression, when I heard In C by Terry Riley, I was 17 then. And the first idea for me was, it was performed badly, you know, by the Polish musicians. It was really bad performance, but okay. I thought, it's the end. It's not the beginning. And after three or four years, I've heard... Dorian Reed's by the same Terry Riley, 
And then I thought, wow, it works for me also. I must catch some ideas and I can use this. And I started to use, you know, these tape recordings, so tape delay systems. I also tried to, because we don't have any uh, real equipment for this, but I tried to make an idea to realize somehow with the equipment we had here in Vilnius. So I wrote a piece for voice and tape delay system, I think, using just technical side and so to say also the same as, of course, part of musical structure, this delay. But musically it was different. I think my love song and parting is slightly a different piece than the Israelis music. But idea of this music became closer and closer to me and they wanted to experiment and they wrote i think one piece just for fun to use just you know few notes as i can and i what i imagined could be still music and still musical work but i never repeated this again and never came back to this again because everyone here in vilnius was so to say was wondering but, but look what you will do next. This is, you know, nothing to do else. I said, don't worry. I just came to look to what is here and I will turn back to other things. There is, you know, just, just a very simple thing to come back to the things that could be used many times, not once. So this minimal, I think, so-called music, by the way, I am not against any terms. I think these terms just for listeners, for consumers, for music business. And if people understand what it means, what they say, if they hear word minimalism and they can imagine what kind of music they will hear, it's okay. I never worry about the terms. They can call me minimalist, neuromanticist. I don't care at all. Just they need to listen to music and they will understand because it's maybe different from these terms, you know, slightly. So, but you you are right when you mentioned this, that it's uh, some kind of repetitive structures inside the music, which are really important, say, even in my late works, this pulsation, metrorhythmic structures, and some kind of repetitive structures, some way maybe inside deeply in the musical structure, they are really much more important than any other structures of music.
this idea of connecting to the audience was really fascinating for me to think about. And as I was listening to a very recent piece of yours, a ballet, and I thought, so he's connecting to the visual movement and stage work. And then I learned just by doing a little bit of research that it's actually nothing new for you at all. And I was thinking about you're really a pioneer in the field using early versions of tape recorders and Invencios uh, for oboe in 1976. In 1979, the Song of Love and Separation for a Soprano and Delay Systems. So you've been working in live stage performances for a very long time and having this interest in the tools of composing, but also connecting to other aspects of how the audience is connecting, meaning engaging. So there's sometimes an audience might feel very alienated by watching a composer on stage with a laptop and they're not really demonstrating anything musically and they really want to see something happen. And I thought dance is a very good utility for that because it offers something to follow visually which may help them connect to the music and i was wondering if you have thought about using say ballet or any kind of even contemporary dance to help the audience engage in the music meaning does it make the music more accessible i don't think if music becomes more accessible just i think people like to see something visuals or, or film or and i think a lot of experience we have today when very sophisticated music and very avant-garde music in film is just viewers have no so to say nothing against listening to this music but if it was concert hall maybe they were surprised and absolutely unhappy listening to the same music you know just without film so it's the same i think with theater works with ballet with opera i was a big lover of stravinsky's ballets and i could always so to say agree with him that ballet is a musical form not like Schoenberg, who said that ballet is not a musical form at all. So, but I never thought that I would write any ballet in my life, you know, because such commissions you are getting or not, it depends not on you. So I'm happy that I wrote two ballets and they are staged at the National Opera here in Lithuania and, and performed. The, the second ballet is still is running this sixth season, I think, is The Trial, based on Franz Kafka's famous novel. Well, yeah, it's rhythmical side and movement. I remember, it's important, I remember first ballet Acid City, there was a lot of percussion and there was no place in the orchestra pit for them. And they were on stage on left and right sides with the percussion instruments and the dancers were also on stage. And I remember my good friend, late theater director, Eimuntas Necrosius, he was watching and he said during the intermission, you know, for me it's more interesting to look at these percussionists, how they are dealing with this music than to these dancers. <laughs> so musical side was catching up his attention much more than dancing. So it happens, you know, different things with music.
Yeah, it looks like magic or something when they're making sounds and how do they do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, I was thinking about very, very current times, and this goes along with the idea of people are using these mobile devices, these iPhones, Android phones, and they're very seduced and distracted all the time. And people are talking a lot about their attention disorder and not being able to follow a narrative or even pay attention for very long at all. And I wanted to get your opinion on the future of the formalistic side of music. Where do you think it's going now with all this very quick attention that people are really losing the ability to pay attention for 30 minutes or you know, a very long piece? You know, what, what's your opinion about this? It's, of course, it's a very typical feature of the youngest generation and I see my students also cannot concentrate for a long time just watching their phones regularly every few minutes during lecture and I can't stop them because it's, you know, it's impossible, I think. And well, thinking about music and about art, maybe music it has different forms. Uh, what I can see, and you maybe also already know this, the songs became shorter. They are now the same short as they were in the early 60s, two minutes, and that's it. Like, you know, but still there are longer songs like new metallic album, it's seven, eight minutes, the same as they were in 80s and 90s, or say nothing to say about long pieces of music. But still, music is such art that even could involve listeners somehow who are really interested. And I can see in different events, festivals, concerts, that with mainly a young audience coming to these new music events, and they can listen. It's strange. Somehow they can leave their phones for this time, at least when music lasts. So music sounds, but I think it's a bigger problem with books, with reading, you know, novels, and so it's really much less reading around us. I was a really reader of books just from the morning until the evening when I was a child and teenager, so the book was the more, one of the most important things at home and still is in my home, a lot of books, thousands. But music works, I think, yeah, you can listen symphony, it will take, yeah, more than symphony, 30, 40 minutes, maximum hour, but you will never read the novel in an hour, it will need much more hours, so I think Still, composers and musicians are more lucky, <laughs> even, even in such a complicated situation when, say, this attention span is, is so short, you know, of the young audience.
Yeah, I get worried about it sometimes. I love that feeling of getting lost in a novel and, you know, and hours can just disappear and you're somewhere else and you're completely removed from the situation. I love this historical arc that you drew from the early days too, because I was thinking probably the reason that there were two or three minute pieces because they were using this 45 record for quick recording, or even before that with a 78s, similar length. And then the long playing record came out, so then things could be longer. And these rock and rollers were using these long drum solos like Inagata de Vida, etc. Or that group, Yes, were doing these long pieces like Close to the Edge. Oh, yeah. I love Tales from Topographic Oceans, despite that it's criticized. But I think it's, it's like big symphony, you know, uh, longest symphony I've heard. And, and still they are dealing somehow with this music, with structure, with form, even maybe, even if it's not maybe very, so to say, successful or, but, but, it, but for me, it's, it's, I, I was a big lover of these big forms that came to, to rock music. Yeah, me too. And, and then the CD came out and then all of a sudden you had this possibility of 70 minutes, 75 minutes. And then we get into the digital age where it's kind of unlimited now. It's just a file now, so you can download it and it can be as long as you want to. But ironically, the attention span goes down and then the attraction to the shorter form comes back, even though there's this opportunity to have long form. So it's a very strange conflict in my mind. And I, like you teach students in a classroom and I watch their, you know, are they with me? Are they paying attention? And they just grab their phones or they're looking around. I was playing a long fragment of Robert Ashley's Perfect Lives and I printed out the text so that I could give them a, a paper copy. This way they could follow along with the text and it might help them pay attention. Uh, while they're listening. And it kind of worked. There was only, I think, one student who put it down and looked at their phone, but most of them were really glued to the text. So it was kind oh, of helpful. So it helped. It yeah. helped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I really like his work in the fact that it, there's a simplicity behind the words. The musical forms are, are usually repetitive and simple. So I thought you might like that too. Oh, yes. He was in Vilnius and I met him and I was delivering a conversation with him at the composer's house here in Vilnius. So it was just a year before he passed away, I think. Sorry to lose him, that's for sure. I wanted to ask you what you're working on and what the most current projects that we have to look forward to from the world of Urbaitis. At the moment, I am working on the orchestral piece. It belongs to the planned but never finished series I started in 1997. It was a piece called Bruckner Gemälde, based on motifs from Bruckner symphonies. And now I am trying to prolong to make a triptych of Bruckner's compositions. Then it must be some chamber music works and I'm not against working with film again. I did some films last year, feature film and documentary music. Uh, sometimes it's interesting, but I, I would not be interested to be involved you know, the whole my time spent writing film music. 
so it's not interesting for me. I like to change, the, to move from one sphere to another, so I'm looking forward to what the life will bring. We will see. I think the people make a mistake, say, presenting me and thinking of me like, oh, he's a minimalist composer. No, I'm not a minimalist composer. He is a composer who only reworks other composers' music. No, I am not doing only this, and so on and so on. So I have always this to show something else. But I know that in artists' lives, so happens that some works, some, in my case, and composers' case, some music works are more 
popular mode formed and you cannot stop this and you cannot suggest something else even maybe more interesting or you think they are better or maybe not better not the right word but still they can add something essential to the music the listeners already know but they want to hear this the same performers want to play only these few works of yours and they have also few such works which are performed for decades and without any stop again and again and again <laughs> and sometimes i am oh maybe they could sing something else i have other choir music i have other champion music works but still they are concentrating on something they know and they love but i accept the situation as it is and i am just wondering what the life will bring i would like to realize some ideas, still I have some unrealized, but I think something is already done. What's the value? I'm not thinking about this from this side and even don't love this word enough that art has some value. It's an agreement. You know, when say this painting costs five million, who said that it costs? Maybe it costs. 500 <laughs> you know it's the same about everything in art just you must get this individual relationship with the emotional world of music i think still music for me it's more emotional than intellectual and it's important and what it tells it tells in a particular way and this story not literal, but musical, behind the music work. For me, personally, it's very important. And I am looking for ideas. I don't want to repeat, say, ideas which I've already used. Sometimes I could agree with Utal Dilthoslavsky, who tried to avoid using the same idea second time. And still you are the same person, so a lot of things you cannot, so to say, avoid they are repeating, because you are as you are, and that's it. So, but Litoslavsky, I think he wrote, because of this, it's my point of view, only one string quartet, and he never wrote the second or third one, because it was just once it could be done, and that's it. So I also tried to find what's important for me, and I think for the listeners who are listening to my works, that I am exploring another idea, a new work, and I'm trying to find out a new idea, which is not so simple, but still I think I'm not making, uh, so to say, uh, from myself some kind of, you know, image that could be sold as a sign that everybody will know that all my works will be the same and they will get what I have done 10 or 20 years ago. So sometimes artists are in such, you know, situations they must do this because they are already becoming a part of musical business world and they are just goods. <laughs> they are works that are goods who someone is selling and they must be the same as they were before. So, but I can be free from this part and I am happy that I am free. I have no such, you know, any connections with the musical business and any you know it's my free choice what i will do i will write or not and this is absolutely for me it's i'm happy that i am here where i am and and i can do and choose and write what i want 
Well, it has been a tremendous honor to spend time with you today and share ideas and discuss music and your musical life. So thank you so much for being here on this podcast today. And thank you for inviting me too. Um, good luck for you. Thank you so much.